as, as we already know, uh, and this may be the understatement of the year, uh, but 2020 has been an interesting year. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah, definitely. And one of, one of the things that, this, that has really marked this year uh, in the life of our country is just racial tension. And, uh, and so there's, there have been a series of events that have happened uh, this year that I really felt like God uh, convicted me where we need to have a response as a church. I came to the conclusion as a pastor uh, this past February, actually, where we were, as a congregation, or me especially as a pastor, was just silent on this issue. And I really felt God uh, convicting me of that reality. And I just came to the conclusion that we needed to have uh, a, a, very, um, a very strong and biblical response to, to really the tension that, that is in our society today. And so I started listening to uh, a podcast uh, put on a guy that, uh, named Josh Hershberger, and, and uh, he hosted uh, a young man named Adrian Burden on that podcast. And, uh, and Adrian shared his heart for the Lord and his heart for people and his heart to, to really uh, to help people come to know Jesus. And he shared his own experience with racism as a black American. And when I heard, when I heard Adrian talk on this podcast, I thought, our congregation needs to hear his heart. And our congregation needs to hear his experience. And so I had kind of thought about preaching a sermon on racism uh, but I thought, no, that's not really the first step we need to take. And I will do that in the future. What we need to do as a predominantly white congregation is take a posture of listening. We need to listen. And so that's why I've invited Adrian Burden to come and share with us the word today. Uh, Adrian is from Wilson, North Carolina. He uh, was called by God into the ministry at age 16. And he and his family travel 12 months out of the year spreading the gospel to vacation Bible schools, to youth retreats, preaching in churches and revivals all over the United States. He has a heart for, for sharing the love of Jesus everywhere he goes. And so we are thrilled to have him. Adrian is married uh, to his wife, Tabitha. They have two beautiful daughters, uh, Jasmine and Janae. And I would like for you guys to give Adrian a Stones Crossing welcome as Adrian comes on up and shares with us. <laughs> thank you. Hey, thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. Hey, first off, thank you, Pastor Scott, for the warm welcome and introduction. And first off, I guess I should speak. Well, good morning. morning. Hope you're doing well. It is a privilege to be able to be with you. And as we are here today, obviously, I understand that there are some that might be a little bit on the edge of their seat. Obviously, this is a very dicey topic. And as you begin to think about it and think through it, kind of already might have some preconceived notions of where exactly we may go. But understand that even the most sensitive of topics need a biblical response. And I pray, just understand from my perspective, I do have a bias. And this bias will come out. And when I'm speaking here in this little bit, and I think you should be aware of it, but I do believe that you will be able to help set where we're going. And my bias that I have, without apology actually, is I believe the Bible. 
Listen, even when my emotions get out of whack, and even when I feel a certain way strongly, and I get passionate about something, when I then meet with the word of God and it disagrees, well, we know who is wrong. (laughs) The Bible is wrong truth. And I want you to understand, as we look here biblically at what we're getting ready to see with racism and bias and different things, that I, by the grace of God, sought to be as biblical as possible. And even tell you this as my word, if it's not biblical, I hope you go to the toilet of your mind and flush it on down, because it's really not going to help you. I want us, as we look here, to see this from Scripture. I know there's a lot of thinkers out there, and you probably don't even, might not even like the word of racism, because we're, you know, obviously one race human race and different things obviously I know just practically speaking as we're looking at this is that that's how we many people mainstream America is how we break it down culture might be a better word I would believe I would agree with that but I'm just saying the word and being loose about it as we are going through what we're getting ready to go through so just I know since there are the thinkers that are out there however I want just to say this because if you're anything like me during this year you have probably done some of the following things you, you probably have watched the news way too much, and you say, I am not going to watch any more news. And then you pull up Facebook and watch the news on Facebook. <laughs> or you pull it on some other social media or whatever that you may use. You have, might have done this if you're anything like me. You decided to take your hiatus from news and go to social media and then found you have entered into a conversation that got a little heated. (laughs) You got into a conversation that after you finished up with the comments you had and the things you said, you kind of had this little moment of, was that really worth it? You know, you might have also done this sat at a table with your family, and instead of really just enjoying the conversation, you're sitting there thinking to yourself as you're cutting whatever it is you're cutting, your next fiery thing you're going to put online because you're going to word it oh so right, you're going to say it oh so right, and you're going to prove to that other person in church who is just a liberal or conservative or whatever you call them, and then you sometimes are just forming these things instead of spending time with your family. I know, I'll tell you, I can say that because I I know I've done all of the above. This has not been our finest hour. Corporately, as a church many times, and especially as it relates to racial tension. You know, I I want us to see here in the beginning where this began. So help me out though, before I tell you the passage we're going, um, okay, before I tell you the passage that we're going to be going to, I I want you to actually... um, participate in what I'm getting ready to ask you to do. It's going to require you to say something, to open your mouth, but be with me. I believe that I've seen the participation already, even that get it, got it thing. That was pretty funny. But anyway, I can see that y'all already getting ready to participate. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you two options. And I want you, after I say, I'm going to go, I'm going to give you the two options. Then I'm going to say, one, two, three, go. And I want you to say, which option would you choose? So, so if I said apple juice or orange juice, I will let you think on it. And then I'll say, one, two, three, which one is better? I'll say, one, two, three, and you yell out which one you think is better, whereas apple juice or orange juice. Does that make sense? Uh, okay, you can nod your head. All right, perfect. All right, so let's start here. Ford or Chevy, okay? Think about it. Ford or Chevy. One, two, three. Ford. Ooh, a lot of Fords out there, all right? All right. This one's near and dear to my heart, so I'm going to see what kind of church you are. 
Apple or Android, ready? Apple or Android, count to three. One, two, three. Ah, I heard a lot of apples out there, that's all right. All right, okay, city life or country life? So city or country, ready? City or country, one, two, three, go. Mm, got a country. <laughs> People enjoy their land and having all that. All right, now don't answer. Okay, don't answer. Which is better, a black man or a white man? Which is better, black lives matter or all lives matter? Which, which is better, a person who is a U.S. citizen or somebody who is illegal? Which is better? You see, when we say those things, we suddenly go in our hearts and say, well, Adrian, we don't think like that, you know, because we're all the same. But we have opinions upon everything. If I ask you why you liked Apple, you have opinions of why. You know what? You like the operating system. You like the UI. You like something about it that makes you then have the feeling you have. You just don't turn that off when you now start looking at people and individuals. There's still that inside of us that does this comparison thing, and we have inside of this this idea of superiority, of that my way, the way that I have grown up, the way that I have done life, is somehow more superior to somebody else's situation or circumstances. And I believe that we are being dishonest with ourselves if we think that we just have just a normal, I mean not say normal, but have a pretty much neutral view of how we see these things. Now, I want us to go, what we're going to do is we're going to move here. Genesis chapter number 11 is where we're going to be. I want you to see that this thing of superiority has happened from the beginning. Think of Adam and Eve. When Eve was there by that fruit, all the devil had to say is this, God's holding out on you. God, you could be better. There is someone who is better than you. And he's, she's like, so this tree that I'm not eating, why is God not allowing me to have what he has? You see, what I'm saying is this is something that has happened from the beginning. So I want us to go to the very source of what we see. In Genesis chapter number 11, the Tower of Babel, where we see this all kind of break down. And understand, when I say about being our best and superiority, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be all that God wants you to be. I believe it's more, but being, the, I, I have the more the idea of the superiority complex in the sense of dominance, where it's opponent focus, where I've got to be better than whatever is out there right now. So when we look here in Genesis chapter 11, 11 I'm going to read from verses 1 down to verse number 9, all right? Genesis chapter 11 through verse 1 through verse 9, the Bible says this, and the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as a journey from the east, and they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And they dwelt there, and they said one to another, Go to, and let us make brick, and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime they had for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men built it. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they all have one language. And this they began to do. 
and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, or Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the, did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Now, as you look at, I said verse 11, I'm sorry, verses 1 through 9. But as we're looking here at this passage, we're going to understand exactly where this spirit of superior, superiority came from. Then after we move through this passage, I want us to have practical gospel application of what this means here from this story for us. Look, I know I'm a guest here. I know I'm a different kind of guy. I don't want there anything to be about my persona or anything that distracts from the message. I am passionate about what I preach. I am passionate about not just this, but the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't travel with my family just to go from place to place to play patty cake with the devil. We are going to go. We are going to talk. We're going to go through and talk with the Word of God very deeply. But understand my spirit at the beginning, I really truly want to be a help from the grace of God. So as we begin, I'm going to pray. I don't want to just pray before I preach just because it's a ritualistic thing to do. Because I made the same stuff you are. And I want to be a vessel, clean vessel before God before I start trying to share something from His Word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you know my heart, you know, inside and out. And Lord, I do, Lord, I've prepared and prayed for this time, for these opportunities. Lord, um, I pray that you just give me wisdom about, Lord, with, to address, Lord, what you have shown me here in your word. Lord, I pray that you'd empty me of myself, Lord, of my thoughts and my, where I think things should go. But Lord, help me to be so, so sensitive to your Holy Spirit. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that you would not help me. I, I pray that you would take over. Lord, I just want to be nothing more than an instrument inside of your hand. Lord, if there's a part of me that's not even yielded to you, the best way I know how, Lord, would you bless your word in spite of me? Lord, would you take your word and use it in Lord Stone's Crossing's heart? Lord, in spite of the servant, Lord, that you have brought here. But God, I seek your face. Lord, I beg you, Lord, that you would use your word. Lord, use the power of the gospel for those that are here sitting in the service, for those that might be watching here live, live online right now, for those who may watch it later on. God, do grant, Lord, just your li the liberty, Lord, to be able to do the work that you have intended to do during this time. Oh, how we thank you for your word. For it's in Christ's name, we certainly pray it all. Amen. So here's what's happening. Many of you, quick Bible story. This is after the flood. Approximately, if you go according to Usher, this is 106 years after the flood. So what happened after the flood is God told them, he said to go and replenish the earth. The word there, replenish, means to refill. That means they have been spread apart and during before the flood. And what he's telling them is don't just stay here, but go, replenish. But apparently, during these years, they had stuck all together as some type of band. And they have said, we are pretty much going to now go and build us a city. So in verses 1 down here to verse number 4, you see as Babel's plan determined. I know that some of you might pronounce it Babel. I grew up saying it Babel, but yes, Babel's plan determined. So here's their plan. They're saying we're going to build a city and a tower. And the verse 3 and 4, you can see the excitement of their plan. Look at the, the, the exclamatory words of go and go and come. 
let's do this. I mean, you can watch Dora the Explorer and know that these are words of, let's get it done, baby, vamanos, right? It's like, let's go, 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 let's build a city. Go, let's build us a tower. Come on, we've got a task that we want to do. So you see that they're pretty excited about this plan of building this city and this tower. So you see, this is their plan. The purpose of their plan is outlined in verse number four. It says this, it says, who's taught me reach unto heaven and let us make us a name. So the purpose of their plan is to make themselves a name. They want to be known. Ambition is not a 21st century thing, baby. I mean, this didn't come after John Maxwell wrote his book or Zig Ziglar wrote a couple leadership books. They had this before the time began of ambition. I'm going to do something. I'm going to have a legacy. This is going to be what we are known for. This is what, we, what the world will remember this generation for. They wanted to make themselves a name. Now it's believed they were trying to build not just a tower, but a city that was going to be untouched, unmatched. It is believed that the tower wasn't just one that went straight up in the air, but was more like one of those pyramids that you would see of a very large base and made its way go up. The purpose, again, speculation, is that in case God ever decided to flood the earth again, they're going to go to the top of that tower. <laughs> you know, They knew that when it came down, Mount Moses, I mean, Noah's Ark was on top of Mount Ararat, so they made it that high it's possible they could survive. So the point is that as you see that, we're going to make us a name. So then it says purpose of the plan, but then you notice this. Lest we be scattered upon the face of the whole earth. So what? Once you make yourself a name, okay, you will do everything in your power not to lose what you have worked for. You will then make sure that you will not be scattered abroad. You will not be changed. You see, you will do everything in your power to hold on to that which you've worked so hard for. So that's their plan. Number two in verses five through six, you see Babel's strength defined. The irony in verse number five is that the Lord came down. You know, I mean, obviously it's just the irony because it's just kind of funny when it's like, you know, they're building this incredible thing and God's like, oh, let me go down and look at that little thing. <laughs> you know, like, like the things that we think are large, God had to come down and see it. Like that Google thing, I think it's somewhere around there. <laughs> you know, like, like God's looking down. He's so, like showing his omnipotence and as we see God's, plant, God's strength. But it's interesting, God does compliment the people. He does. Now, look what he says. It says in verse 6, Behold, the people is one. They all have one language. This they began to do. Now nothing will be restrained from them what they have imagined to do. What, God does not marvel at their city. God marvels at their unity. They were had one mind. And do you know what God says? This is again, God is saying, anything they put their mind to do, they're going to do it. It's going to happen. Now it's a bad plan because the plan goes against to what God said after he got off the ark. He said, go, scatter, scatter, fill, refill the earth. That's what God said do. So now their plan's against God. However, God then is saying, whoa, this is pretty incredible. The unity these people have. Oh, take that thought, just tuck it in because, again, we're just going to the passage, make the practical application we go through, right? Now, verse 7 through 9, you see that God comes down and kind of 
scatters things out. <laughs> Verse 7 through 9. Go to, let us go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. Now it's hard for us to be able to come to the point of understanding that everyone spoke one language. That's just un- insane. So um, I don't know if there's any Spanish speakers out there. Spanish speakers, yo quiero um, hablar español. Yo, yo, un día, yo, yo creo... Um, predicar en español un día, pero ahora yo, anybody, any Spanish speakers in the house before I keep on going? Oh, muy bien. Yo estoy tratando de aprender español, pero un día, basically what I'm, but I'm not, I'm, I'm just, basically what I'm saying is, it's possible that we and her have a conversation, and even though it's perfect, it's a language, you have no idea. Do you know what's so interesting about language? Is the Bab- Tower of Babel worked, baby. It worked. Like, it's hard when you go to another country, and I don't care if you're a seminary degree, if you don't know the language, it doesn't matter. You can be all smart, but it doesn't matter. What I'm saying is, God then did the ultimate disunifier. Changed their language. Now you got a guy who you can't be of one mind if you can't understand a man. You can't be on the same page. If, you're refu- if you can't understand what's being said. So God then scatters the people as they go out. Now, then accomplishing what God had originally said was he was going to do. Now, you say, Adrian, why do you say all that? <laughs> I had to get to this, all right? A statement that I want us to remember. Upon being dispersed at the Tower of Babel, their languages changed, but their hearts of superiority did not change. You do not see that God, their hearts didn't change. They were a group of people trying to be better than God. They were going to be like God. They were going to be superior. But God changed their languages. But after God changed their languages, it doesn't mean they just lost that ambition of, well, looks like we're not going to be the best anymore. That's not what happened. Now the battle began, and you see all through Scripture where people groups are going to be better than other people groups. Our way of living is superior than your way of living. Your cultural context is not as good as mine. Because look at my economy. Look at our protection. Look at whatever you want to say is that now the superiority game has gone nowhere and to say that's not inside of us you have to deny in Genesis chapter number 11 and as you go through all of scripture of all through history of battles between groups of people that somehow in the 21st century we've gotten over it somehow in the 21st century where we're saying things are getting worse and worse and worse etc etc that this area has not gotten any worse so now how does the gospel then relate unto this? Well, just so I know that gospel can be explained in many different terms, and so let me just say it in these terms so you can see the application of where I'm going. The gospel, God's plan to reconcile man unto himself. We have a problem of sin. We cannot be saved. We have an issue because of our sin. We have come short of the glory of God. You understand that. You've got to acknowledge. We have an issue. We have a problem. God let the rich young ruler know that in a pretty cool and amazing way of letting him know you have a problem of sin. If you don't understand that, if you never come to grips that you have a need, my friend, then what do you need the gospel for if you do not realize you have a need before God? 
So we have a problem, but God has a solution. Isn't that what we just sing about today? How he praised him for dying on that cross? I know many people have died as you go through history and died through horrible deaths, but none will live the perfect life, hung on a cross, and took the hell of all mankind from time past, time future, and time present as he was on that cross. What I'm saying is Jesus Christ then died, was buried, and rose again. So God has a solution, and then we have a responsibility. We have a choice. But to him, that worketh not, but believeth on him, that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. What God says then is this, is because I, you trust, I will do the amazing exchange plan ever. I will take your faith and I will give you my righteousness. I will then be able, you can be saved from your sin if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now then, that's the gospel. I kind of put it in these three points because I want you to remember this, is that we have a problem, God has a solution, and over here we have a responsibility or choice to trust in him. Now, as we take that same exact outline as far as how I put the gospel, how then does it relate to this situation over here? Well, we have a problem. We have an issue. We have to acknowledge that superiority lies within us. <laughs> you say, I just don't struggle with that. So you don't struggle with lying? You don't struggle with that? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jesus. You know, I'm looking at it, it's like, stop. I understand that it is the one sin that you cannot be pinned for in this generation. I'm not saying that you need to go right all over a Facebook page somewhere, but I am saying to not acknowledge that inside of our heart that we have a desire for my way to be better than anybody else's way, that I have a self-bias bias inside of myself, the way that I want and I desire is most important. It to, to ignore that, I believe, is silly, and you never can let the gospel reconciliation power happen if we cannot say there is not an issue. Now, again, my life context, when people talk about racism, racist things, I don't imagine how people can say it. Look, I'm 35 years old. Honey, my mom and dad are 55, 57 or so years old. And listen, we had to find a church that would allow us to come in there as a black family. We were told we could not come to certain churches. I go, and I was preaching. I remember preaching at 22 years old. Pastor calls me up. No, brother, you cannot come to your, our church. I am never going to let a black man preach in my pulpit. Let's stop talking about the world. Let's talk about us. These are churches of like faith, like practice, a church that you may sit inside. I remember the pastor who came in and then took me into his office, and he looked inside, had no idea as a black man come to his church, handed me a visitor's card, and then I said, brother, I'm Adrian. He about fell out of his chair when I told him who I was. And I remember after that whole situation, and I said, brother, do you need me to leave and different things? He just said, brother, we just, just, we're not allowed to do this. This is not supposed to happen. I remember he took me to that hotel and he told me to leave town and he said look my dad passes over there he would never allow you in his church my brother passed over there if you were come to his church we the families of that church would walk out the door and what he says is the best thing you can do is leave town so for me when you say ah superiority that doesn't exist my life contact almost looks at you and says are you kidding me but we got to understand, so let me go ahead, level with you, not sob story versus your sob story, but let's, I can, I can locate a prejudice and understand the church as a whole, not Stone's Cross, church as a whole. What if I said this? Do not cut this out and make a clip of it and see it on some, some website, right? This is just an illustration. What if I said this? Hey, at the end of church, Stone's Cross, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something different. What we're going to do is we're going to have 
um, the restrooms separate. Now, I don't know the layout exactly of your building, but let's just say we were going to have the black restrooms over here on this side, and uh, we would have the white restrooms over there. Now, I know we haven't been having drinking fountains recently because of COVID, but actually our drinking fountains are going to be allowed. And so what we're going to do is you're dismissed here today. We would like for you to use the appropriate water fountain, black water fountain again on this side, and the white water fountain over here on this side. And I believe that would just help our church as we move forward through this situation of racial tension. Now, even the fact of me saying that, there are some of you who are very uncomfortable with the fact that I even said something like that. But let me locate a prejudice within the church. The only place culturally that you can say such language is about church. If I told you, hey, folks, I came here and there's a black church down the road, you don't think about it. Ah, it's a black church. We're not talking about different languages. We're not talking about things that are... Why is that the place that's supposed to transcend culture? You cannot say inside of a heart that there's nothing to be seen when on our regular jargon, I'm not saying you use it, but as a whole, we could get on national television and say that, and it doesn't quite ripple. But if I say anything about restrooms separated, water fountains restorated, we lose our minds. I'm just pointing out that before we can even talk about, the, and let's just say the gospel about sin, we have a problem called sin. Before we can talk about this matter of racism, seeing how gospel interacts, it's issue of superiority we see biblically here is that we have, there is, inside of us lies a spirit of superiority. Now, let's continue to go on. The other part of the gospel is that God has a solution. Christ gave his son, right? So do you know what the devil has done, though, in that matter? He's tried to convolute the gospel. He's tried to complicate the gospel, add works to the gospel, because he knows the truth, so he's going to then match the truth. So as we look here, the problem we see then, so we understand that we have an issue of superiority, so therefore we can conclude that this is a spiritual issue. And even though we claim this is a spiritual issue, sometimes we are responding as th in physical ways. I need you to help me out. I'm going to say Satan is the enemy, and I want you to fill in the blank. So Satan is the enemy. Satan is the enemy. Satan is the? Satan is the? Satan's the enemy. See, this is going to change our thinking, okay? Satan's the enemy. Satan's the enemy. Get ready to shoot me. The Republicans are not the enemy. The Democrats are not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. It's a spiritual thing. See, what happens is we get our boxing gloves to be able to punch up on somebody who disagrees with us because we're going to have this physical fight, but this is a spiritual problem. And the thing is, we are treating each other like animals while trying to attack a spiritual problem. You know, shoot me now. BLM is not the enemy. Shoot me now. The other hashtag you can see is not the enemy. You say, Adrian, I disagree. These people can be used. These other, these other groups that you might talk about, they can be used by Satan. Listen, here's the difference. And I'll even jump on the other side of the equation. The guy who put his knee there on George Floyd's neck, Derek, I can't remember his, his, his full name, but that police officer, as much as that video pained me, and I, I remember just going with my mom, can't believe, regretting I even watched it. I I got to understand that he's not the enemy. 
even though he was used and justice should happen, I am not getting a pass. But the difference is this, is that he is an image bearer of Christ. And though the justice should happen, though justice should prevail, that man still bears the image of Christ. And I can then still have a righteous indignation and still then say, he still needs Christ. But when I make him the enemy, listen church, when we make them the enemy, don't be surprised when they treat us like the enemy. When you treat them like the enemy, let's not be shocked that they have an attack for us. When you, you say, when you see this played out, <laughs> you know, in different things, obviously as it, as it relates, um, I was going through thinking about the pandemic and um, things that are said and how then our vocabulary changes I do believe that truth can prevail and charity can still be present. Hear me what I said. Truth can prevail and charity present. The Bible says love is, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, but also says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is kind. Not weak, it's kind. It's possible to have the strong biblical positions and still be kind. You look at this as you march down is, okay, so you see the gospel practical application. You know, we have an issue, this matter of a problem of sin. We have an issue, this matter of superiority inside with us. This is Christ living out. And then God has solution, you know, obviously God has solution through his son Jesus Christ. We understand that the problem is spiritual. And since the problem is spiritual, we understand that Satan is the enemy. And then as far as the gospel accepting Lord Jesus Christ, we have a choice. God gives the opportunity to believe in Lord Jesus Christ. So now we have a responsibility. And our responsibility now of living out the gospel is now that we can live out Christ. Live out Christ in front of them. Now, so people say, Adrian, what then do I do? Classic question. What then is Christ living inside of us practically then make its way out? Look, number one, I would say, just as just a practical point, is this, I would believe that we need to be empathetic beyond our understanding. Empathetic beyond your understanding. You know, there are circumstances that have happened in your life I'll never understand. I don't know what it's like to have a family with cancer. So stop talking like you do. <laughs> I, need to stop, I don't know what it's like to have a child with special needs. So I need to stop thinking like I know the ins and outs. I don't know what it's like for so many people in this world. And suddenly, what can happen then, I'm going to switch the context in just a moment. I talk to two people who have a child with special needs, and now I am the expert of what it's like, and I can relate to every person in the house of how then I should relate to people who have parenting children with special needs. You talk to two people. I remember I traveled up to Canada, and I joked with my wife. We just crossed over the border real quick. And I was sitting at Tim Horton the first time I've been to Canada. And I was sitting there at a, uh, Tim Horton's. We were eating food and stuff. And as I was eating my food, I said, do you know what's funny, baby? And here's how the relationship goes. Is that these people don't understand that the way they treat me here is my impression of the entire Canada. Entire Canadians. You know, all Canadians. Is what happened at that one restaurant on a Tuesday afternoon. Suddenly, I'm going to come back to the United States. Let me tell you about them Canadians. Let me tell you what they're all like. 
I went to a Tim Hortons, baby. That's it. What I'm pointing out is this, is that we don't need to walk away. Empathetic beyond yours understanding is, no, you just can't watch two or three news clips and suddenly you've got the temperature of what's happening in the entire community. You see, empathetic beyond our understanding, then, then just, um, it's, then you can kind of then put, pump the brakes and stop waiting for an unsafe community to start acting like followers of Christ. Not only that, but um, <clears throat> be ready. Whoa, I've been talking for a long time, folks, haven't I? <laughs> Let me get to the point. Let me finish this up here. But also, being ready, being ready to stand up for truth. Now, um, quick, quick illustration. I'm going to do this like just one minute. Is um, in college, I played volleyball with a couple of guys and different things. Well, in high school and stuff, and as you're playing volleyball, you can go through a whole rally and never touch the ball, can't you? <laughs> All you do is this. I mean, really, because you don't even touch the thing, right? But do you know what you always got to be? Be ready. You know what I'm saying? What I'm saying is this, is there are many of you that can go out here and there's nothing, really nothing. What can you do to check this animal? What can you do? Social media warrior. What can you do? Sometimes you're going to go home and just be ready. But honey, one day the joke's going to drop down at work and guess what? It's time for you to step up and hit that ball. One day you're going to be the family union instead of just going ha, 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 ha to what you know to be is something that is a heart of superiority from one person to another group of people, especially if they are believers in Christ. To step up and say something. You know, what I have found for me is like people I totally disagree with. I have found this is my line. And I've been using it. Can I take you out to eat? Can I take you out to eat? See, it's easy to fire those little, those little one-liners all day long. But when you're willing to just be able to sit down with somebody and show them love and be able to understand where they're coming from because everybody has a story. I believe you see those barriers come down. So what I'm saying is then, is that we have a choice. As other guys, we have a choice to believe. We have a responsibility. And when you see Christ lived out in us, well, obviously we see the gospel then happen. Christ comes inside of us. And then when you see the gospel lived out, Jesus Christ lives inside of us. And the result is this. You walk around this world and do what you see. You see black Jesuses and white Jesuses and Asian Jesuses. Do you know why? Because Christ is living inside of us. His work is doing it. And we are seeing the power of the gospel living out from us and as we then see an entire color palette you see the church of the living God transcending culture itself coming to the point where we can then get beyond these external nonsense and understand we're part of the body of Christ you know look when you see this played out it's you ask the question as to the beginning so which one is better well I, I would submit to you it's better an elbow or knee. I think they're better together. <laughs> All right. So what is the answer? We are better together. We ain't gonna play no games of how much money you bring into the coffers, how many statistics wisely. Stop! Stop playing the games. Stop spitting the stats. We, as a people, are better all together, period. Now, as I close and the, the band comes up, I, I understand this. This is a crazy thought, but what if I say I were the devil? I'll say this in on the If I were the devil and I understood the power of unity as seen inside the Bible, I think I would devise a plan. The devil knows he is not more powerful than God. He knows that. So then he has to have a plan to still thwart God's 
plan and purpose here. By way of illustration, my father-in-law watches westerns. My, he watches Gunsmoke like he's going out of style, man. <laughs> Riflemen, all of them, right? I watch sometimes with them. And now that I know I'm not trying to, you know, hate because even the shows I watch get pretty predictable nowadays. But as sometimes what happens is this, is that you got, the, you, got the, you got the hero, right? And he's sitting there and he's all tied up. And so as the hero's all sitting there tied up, they always send two big old dudes to watch him, right? These big guys walk in, hey, we're watching guard over this guy, and he's sitting there. What does the hero do? The hero knows he cannot overtake them guards. He's not strong. He is bound up. He can't take them guards. So what he does then is this. One guard will walk away for a moment, maybe get some lunch. And the hero will look at that guy and say, hey, while you were gone, he said something about your mama, right? He said, what now? Yeah, he said something about your mama. Uh-uh. They switch off. The other guy goes to lunch. He pokes up, looks up at the next guy and says, hey, while you were gone, he said you were lazy. Did you come to work on time today? I ain't lazy. Yeah, well, that's what, I'll just tell you what the man said, man, when you walked away. The hero knows he cannot beat them being restrained. He cannot overpower them. So his plan is this. Get them to fight each other. Because then, if they fight each other, then he can make his escape. If I were the devil, he knows the gospel will end him. His plan is everything. And so if I were the devil, I think I know what I would do. I would find the ones who know truth. I would find the ones who are followers of Christ. And I would get them to divide on anything. I will get them bickering about anything. As long as you keep them Facebook fights going, baby, as long as you go ahead, keep that little just murmur going in the back after church, as long as there's little coffee shop days where we tear down what's happening here, as long as, I don't care what you be fighting about, but as long as we got you fighting, it's a win. We are better all together. It is time for us to look around at this room and give deference. They might not believe the same way you do. They might not vote the way, they, the way you do. They might not go about the things the way they do. But giving deference and forbearing one another is biblical. What did Jesus say? Oh, that brethren, I mean, as you look at the New Testament, he has the disciples there. If you guys, when I leave, just get along. Dwell together. I'm not saying the world is unicorns and ponies. I'm not saying that there's no problems inside our world today, but it's time for the church of God to do the very thing that Jesus did, which was the hardest to do, and that is a showing of love, not just when they do us right, but when they smack us upside the head. It is time. Stop fighting. Racism. Prejudice. is only nullified by the power of the gospel. We bow our heads and hearts together with our heads bowed and eyes closed at time of meditation inside this room. I look up and I believe the live stream even today. Look, you might have tuned in and you might have been here just because you're curious about what the church may say. 
about our current racial tensions and situations. That might have been your heart of why you tuned in. But my friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the greatest need is not knowing you need to walk out of here and try to be better to your neighbor. Your greatest need is Jesus Christ. Your greatest need is to know that he, you can believe on him, that you, your sins can be forgiven. You do not have to carry this load. So as you sit there in your pew, I mean in your pew or sit there inside of your home in your, on your sofa, can I ask you this, right where you are, the Bible says to believe the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. No one has to come sprinkling anything on your head. No one has to do anything special. It's a matter of your heart decision of understanding that you are a sinner before God and knowing that Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again for the remission of your sins that you can be saved and call out him in faith. You say, Adrian, what does that sound like? I don't know you. I don't know how you cry out to God. But as a person who knows they're broken and needing help, call out to him right now. I'll tell you what happened. I was seven. I called out and I said, God, the best way I know how, I ask you to save me from my sin. The best way I know how, I believe that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. And I trust you alone for my salvation. Oh, my friend, if that is you, whatever platform you're watching on right now, man, message us. Oh, call the number that's at the church. We want to help. We want to make sure that you understand what Christ has done for you fully. I'm not, what you did inside your heart, I pray inside this building right now, you might have prayed and asked the Lord to save you from your sin. We rejoice with you. We praise, we praise God with you. Oh, make your way to that table in the back. Let the, somebody, the discipleship pastor talk to you. Or maybe you have questions. That's great. Let's get these questions answered. God typically does not speak to your heart about these, matter, about these matters in the middle of you watching your favorite show. It's when the word of God is preached. Now as we look here, let me talk to the church. Guys, you gotta, we can't keep using the world stats of what's going on in the world. Let's talk about home plate for just a minute. Let's talk about the body of Christ. As the gospel working its way out, if we looked at our recent account activity, have I been attacking physical when we know it's spiritual? You can be truthful and be kind. Are people seeing, do people at work want to be like you? Or do they avoid you now because of all that's going on? Because, oh boy, you'll let them know now. You'll get them the stats, baby. What I'm saying is we have a time of meditation and prayer inside of our heart. Maybe hell, God, let me, help me, God, let me see it. God, help me act on it. Help me let Christ live through me. Let's pray. Let's have a heart just for a moment. As we prepare to close, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, I appreciate the wonderful opportunity to speak to you today. But if I could, there's nothing special about Adrian Burden, but I want to just pray. 
And here's the spirit of my prayer is a prayer of dedication. Your pastor has taken a step that is not necessarily going to give him some likes on his Facebook personal page. He's probably going to have more conversations after this than many sermons series he's done. But your pastor obviously is, God is speaking to him about something that he feels the body of Christ needs at this place. So what I want to do is just pray for you. It's a spiritual battle, so I'm just going to pray. A prayer of dedication. As you navigate these waters, as you continue to show Christ forth in this world. Oh, Father in heaven, we come to you. Lord, as my hands lift inside the air, Lord, and I just say it's a matter of surrender. Lord, we, we understand that you know all. You're all powerful, Lord, and we understand, Lord, that your word is truth. Lord, even when your word illuminates things that are uncomfortable, Lord, you illuminate things that we struggle. Lord, I pray, Lord, that our spirit, I pray for my spirit, Lord, to be in the right spot. Lord, I pray that corporately, as I pray for Stone's Crossing, that you would just allow them and enable them, Lord, to be able to see such fruit, Lord, such progress inside this area. Lord, I pray, Lord, that as we, as they go to work and as they interact with the community in Greenwood and, and in Indy, Lord, there will be people groups that can come in and know, Lord, the love of Christ is oozing out of this place. Lord, if this is the testimony of this community, Lord, I pray that you continue to strengthen their testimony within the community in those areas. Lord, the best way we know how, we beg you, Lord, for just this supernatural power to love as you love. Lord, to be able to look at other people, other ones who have different views or, and different ways. And I pray that this would be a place that stands up for a beacon of truth, that stands up for righteousness. But at the same time, Lord, the banner is clear and their message is clear, Lord, that they still care and love every single person within the community that they have been asked to, or to reach during these days. Oh, I pray for just supernatural wisdom, empathetic, em empathy beyond, Lord, even their understanding. I pray, Lord, that the gospel we lived out on a daily basis. Lord, we commit this time to you. We commit, Lord, every aspect of what's taking place. Thank you for the ones who have come. Thank you for the ones who have been tender. Thank you for the ones, Lord, that might be still in the fence. Lord, you continue to work upon their heart, Lord, in understanding. Not by my words, but, Lord, let the word of God speak that louder than I could ever speak. Lord, we need you. We acknowledge that. We beg you for your presence. And so, fathers, we praise you today. We worship you today. We also, Lord, want us, you, Lord, we desire that you continue to do the changing work with inside of our hearts and life. How we thank you for all that you've done and all that you will do in Christ. And we certainly pray it all. Amen and amen.